good evening, everyone. Hello. How's everybody feeling? Good? Okay, good. All right. So, uh, as Eunice said, uh, my name is David, David Ahn. Um, I'm a Korean American. I grew up in the States in Philadelphia. Anyone here from East Coast? That's what I'm talking about. We'll talk later. Uh, yeah, like uh, Eunice said, this is my fourth year being an Emmaus staff. Uh, I started 2012, January, and I officially stopped uh, in, in, I think it's summer 2013, but I, I'm still here. You know, I'm, I'm still uh, leading worship for Yonsei and Iwa campus. Uh, I'm like that. You ever like rub against something or touch something on your hands and it's like a bad smell and you, you wash your hands and it, you still smell. It's like following you all day. I'm like that bad smell. Like, you, Mace, you cannot get rid of me. You could, you could say I'm not a staff anymore, but I'll still find a way to be here, whether it's leading worship or, you know, speaking here. I'm, I'm just like that bad smell, right? Uh, yes, yeah, my fourth year as a main staff, but it's also my eighth year uh, doing college ministry. I've almost been doing it for a decade. I'm, we're the same age, bro, so I don't know why you call me old, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I came um, to college, I, I joined a ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, CCC back in the States, and uh, that's when I really recommitted my life to God, I encountered God, that's when I started going to all these missions trips, I got to see that God is bigger than my little Philly bubble, uh, but He's really the God of the nations, that's when I got, yeah, radically encountered by God, Th- those were some of the most formative years of my life that helped me become who I am today. And why am I telling you this? Because you're in a special place in your life. You're in a special part of your, in this journey where, yeah, do not take for granted this time where there's going to be a lot of opportunities, a lot of time where you're going to learn and grow. College ministry is special, amen? So I want to start off by asking you a question. Have you ever been dared? Yes? Have you ever been dared to do something? Uh, you know, whether it's something like eating something kind of, you know, dare-worthy. Uh, someone shout it out. What's the craziest thing you ever ate before? Nobody's going to get offended. It's okay. It's, it's college ministry. Ants. All right. And you said it boldly. Okay. Dion, what you, what you eat, man? I know you ate something crazy. Okay, some really spicy foods. All right. I remember being dared to like eat something that fell on the floor when I was a kid. Uh, I'm sure you guys were dared to do some crazy stuff, maybe something a little dangerous too, right? Uh, I remember when I was in junior high school, I went to this um, church retreat on Pennsylvania. There's, there's Poconos, it's like woods, and uh, there was a little river, and it was wintertime, so it was frozen. So, you know, my, you know, you're 14, you're going through puberty, and, you know, you're, you're just trying to be a man and, and, you know, your friend says like, hey, I dare you to run across the, the ice frozen lake. And I'm like, no, I, I, I double dare you, you know, uh, well, no, like I triple dog dare, you know, and there's all these like darings. Going back. We ended up running across the whole uh, lake. It was not the smartest thing. Um, we came back and then uh, I started breaking towards the not in the center, though, so I'm still alive, and my friend is too, but, uh, you know, you, you do some stupid things when your friend dares you, or double dares you, or triple dog dares you, you know, to do some dangerous things. You know, when someone dares you to do something, you do things that you will normally never do. You know, whether it's, um, I've done like bungee jumping, skydiving, yeah, eating spicy food, whatever it is, you know, you do some really crazy stuff. When someone dares you and, you know, so I felt like, man, I did some crazy stuff, but I, f- I, I was wondering like, who, who did even crazier things? Who did some crazier dares? So I went on Google and I just typed up uh, stupidest dares of all time. And I found this website called uh, cracked.com. So it sounds like a very credible source. Uh, and it said the six stupidest things ever done on a dare. And I'm only going to mention five because the sixth one was so stupid. Um, So I'm just going to read it real quick. So the first one is, I dare you to tape yourself to this carousel while we spin it with a card. So you guys know what a carousel is? It's like that that thing in the playground, and it just spins like crazy. And some crazy guy in Europe, he just taped himself on, 
and then the car was, <laughs> they, I guess they got bungee cords or rope to it, and then they just uh, drove around, and they just went ahead, and this thing spun so fast that, let me just um, read what the article said. Predictably, the tape came loose, and the man was thrown from the carousel like Super Dave Osborne in a carnival explosion. He was killed more or less immediately, with his, uh, and his friends were treated at the hospital for shock before uh, being charged with involuntary manslaughter. Uh, we assume that this means he won the dare, although we hasten to point out uh, that he would have been awarded the exact same amount of nothing for losing with the added bonus of getting to still be alive. All right, number four. I dare you to play chicken without a car. Anybody here know what it means to play chicken with someone? Okay, it's like, it's like you're just coming at each other, whether you're running or you're on a bicycle, a motorcycle, a car, and you're just going and you play chicken, and the one who's chicken is the one who, you know, diverts to safety. You know, it's the one who chickens out, right? So it's usually with like two cars, automobiles, bikes, whatever, you're riding and you're coming towards one another, and then one person dips out, and the person who dips out loses, and he or she is the chicken, right? So one guy did that uh, without a car. And um, this story was uh, from Australia. Anyone here from Australia? Shame on you. You got you, you to represent your people better. You got to redeem uh, people, you know, for uh, this story. So uh, where are you from? Okay, okay, good. This guy's from Melbourne. It's different. It's different. Yeah, yeah. Melbourne people, they're crazy, right? Uh, an 18-year-old man is in the Royal Melbourne Hospital after he was struck by a Toyota on the Tullamarine Freeway near Flemington just before 1.30 a.m. He had been playing chicken on the freeway on ramp as a dare when he was hit, police said. The resulting collision was enough to total the vehicle, but by some improbable alignment of the stars, the runner himself wasn't killed. That's pretty crazy, right? All right, let's keep going. Crazy, stupid dares of all time. Number three, I dare you to marry me, said a 60-year-old man to a teenage girl. So this is 1905. This is a little over a century ago. This guy named Charles Jameson, a 60-year-old widower, got drunk enough to commit mild sexual assault and married a 17-year-old girl after being dared into it by their mutual friends. That's pretty gross. Uh, number two, let's keep going. Uh, this is college ministry, right? I could, I could say some things that I probably normally can't say at church. Is everyone okay with that? <laughs> All right. I'm just going to go on even if you said no. Uh, I dare you to electrocute your nipples. <laughs> People are crazy, right? Uh, all right, so uh, a Kyle, an 18-year-old high school student, was dared by his friends to put electric alligator clamps on his nipples for a can of soda, Mountain Dew, he immediately went into cardiac arrest, pretty much, um, uh, yeah, and uh, was rushed to the hospital with respiratory failure from which he eventually recovered. So, okay, he was alive. Uh, talking about stupid dares. And last but not least, I dare you to set yourself on fire. A 13-year-old boy named Russell was dared by his friends to set himself on fire after watching a YouTube video. Man, when you're dared to do something, you do things that you would normally never do, right? Like, I'm, maybe, I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of these guys have some issues. You know, you don't just put clippers on, on your chest for no reason at all. You know, you probably got some issues, whether it's insecurity or, or you know, just you love pain or you, you love the near-death experience, whatever it may be. But, man, when you're dared to do something, you, you do things that you normally wouldn't do, right? But the interesting is, uh, thing is, we're, we think that you're only dare to do things when you're a kid or you're just plain stupid. You know, I, I share when I was young, I, I had some uh, dumb dares that were asked of me. Um, or you think it's only for the really dumb or the really young. But the truth is, we're always given a dare. Every day you are encountered with dares. And there's specifically two types of dares I want to talk about. It's really simple. Uh, so if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Uh, the first type of a dare is one that leads to death. Very uh, simple, right? So the last five stories I shared are all examples of this. Uh, every dare either led to immediate death, a near-death experience, or was just plain gross. Amen? It was pretty gross, huh? Come, come on, guys. I like a little response. Is that, it, the 60-year-old man marrying a t that's kind of gross, right? 
Yeah, okay, thank you. Thank you for the yes. Uh, uh, but just because your dare may not lead to immediate death, there are many dares that lead you to a spiritual death. And the dares I'm talking about are dares that pretty much lead you to sin. You know, there's dares uh, that lead you to not a path of life, but a path of death, a path of darkness. You know, Romans 6.23, it says that for the wages of sin is death. And it says that in Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, when they fell, when they listened to the snake, uh, snake or a snake, serpent snake, and they, they sinned and they, they ate from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, sin entered and there is this spiritual disconnect. And by just this generational curse, every single one of us, have inherited this sin. It's called the depravity of man. You know, I'm Korean-American. My parents are both Korean. My mom and dad are Korean. So I kind of look Korean, right? In that same kind of way, every single one of us, we're from Adam and Eve, and we've inherited this sin. It's, it's a part of us. And there's this inclination inside each and every one of us that wants to go down this path of death, this path of darkness. Every day you encounter dares that can lead to death. And you know, there's different levels of dares. There's dares that uh, could be as crazy as, hey, I dare you to play chicken with a car. Or there's, you know, other dares like, hey, I, I just dare you to um, do something light and okay, like give me a high five. You know, it's just like there's different levels of dares. And I'm not saying all dares lead to death, but... Uh, it could easily progress. Actually, it could quickly progress. So for example, let's say you just go to a club. Let's say you just go to a bar. You know, it's okay. The Bible doesn't say, um, you know, don't, do not, you shall not go to the club. You shall not go to the bar. Or I don't really know the um, Korea University area that well. But, you know, when you go to Hongdae, there's a lot of uh, whole bars, you know, whole bar one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And, you know, going there by itself is not a sin, Right? I'm getting, I'm getting a little bit of um, some, some people a little shy right now. Uh, you know, but it's okay if you go to a bar, but, you know, let's say you just drink one shot, especially in a bar, and you drink this nasty chamisur uh, soju. It just tastes like rubbing alcohol. I don't know why Koreans drink that nasty stuff, but and you just take one shot. That's okay. And then maybe you take another shot, and you're like, hey, I'm good. I'm good. And then let's say your friend... <laughs> we got to talk later. Uh... Let's say, you know, there's, your friend says, hey, just take another shot. Just take, man, I just love having a good time. Just take another shot. You know what that is? That's the devil daring you. <laughs> Saying that, hey, I could, I bet, I dare you to drink another drink because I bet you can't, you won't get drunk. I bet you could handle it. You know, it's, it's these little life choices where it's just, this devil's always daring you to do something. He's always daring you to take it one more step deeper, one more step darker. You know, and it's, it never comes off really um, dark and deathly in the beginning, but that's just the way Satan works. You know, he's a master of deceit. You saw this with Adam and Eve going back to the fall where he, he was telling Eve, hey, surely you will not die if you eat of the tree, uh, you know, and, and he's always masking things. He always mixes a little bit of truth with lies. You know, let's say you're going out on a date, ladies, and, you know, you meet this nice cute guy. And, you know, he's really, he's Mr. Suave. You know, he's, he's smooth. And he's just, uh, he says, hey, you want to go out some time? Let's go and, I don't know what college students do these days, but let's just go uh, walk around the hangang, whatever uh, there is to do in Seoul. Um, you know, and then, and then you go. And this guy's nice, you know. He's, he buys you, he's a gentleman. He buys you, you know, dinner. He buys you, uh, you know, the drink, whatever it is. And then you go out, and then he's like, hey, hey, let's just go, uh, let's go walk down this quiet road. There's no one here. There's no one here. You know, um, I just, I just want to look at your eyes in the light of the moonlight. You know, he's Mr. Smooth, right? And, you know, one thing leads to another. And let me tell you, the devil is daring you that a man is going to love you for who you are and not for your body. You know, he's, he's daring you. He's saying, hey, you could keep going. You keep going. There's, there's no danger here. You're perfectly safe. I dare you to keep going. I dare you to keep going. And, you know, next thing you know, you just make one bad decision after another, and you just wake up with regret. 
You know, another dare that the devil loves to do is, in the same kind of line, uh, is just a dare of lust. You know, let's say it's midterm. When's midterm? Next week? This week? Next week? All right, let's say it's a long week of midterms. You know, you're working on your projects. You're working on, you're just studying all night. You had a long week. And, man, you just got home. Your roommate's out. You know, you got the whole place to yourself. So you're just saying, man, I'm just going to go on my computer. I'm going to be all by myself, you know. And, you know, it's been a long day. It's been a long day. You know, and I just feel like oh, I'm just really tired. So, you know, I'm going to just go on, on Google and I'm going to type up www.ishouldn'tbehere.com. And, you know, next thing you do is you realize the devil is saying, hey, hey, I dare you to have this short-lived pleasure of watching pornography and masturbating because that's going to satisfy your sexual desires. And it's not going to ruin your future marriage. You know, devil loves to give these little dares and wants you to make these little choices in your life. And you're thinking it's just really small, but it does have ramifications in your life. You see, the, the, the life, whether it's you're a Christian, a believer or not, you have constant dares coming at you. You're bombarded with dares. It's just raining upon you. You know, whether it's on your commute to classes, whether, you know, just from waking up to going to sleep, there's always these dares coming at you. And there's so many of these dares that lead to death. The second type of a dare that I want to talk about is a dare that leads to life. Surprise, surprise, right? You thought, you know, death and life, yeah. Um, yeah, second type of dare is the dare that leads to life. You know, in John 10, 10, Jesus said that I came that they may have, have life and have it abundantly. He says that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. You see, God's also daring you to, you, you know, on this side right here, you got the devil daring you to, you know, go on www.ishouldn'tbeer.com. You got the devil daring you to make this, you know, drink that extra shot, daring you that, oh, you're strong enough. You could tolerate, you're wise enough, you're self-controlled enough. He's daring you to make these false choices. That's what the devil's doing on this side. But on the other side, you have another dare too. And this, this is the dare. This is the good dare. This is the dare that you were made for. This is the dare that, God is saying and saying, hey, I dare you to do this that leads to this path of life. And that's all I'm here to do tonight. I'm, tonight, I'm, I'm here tonight to give you one dare, and that is the dare to live. I double, triple dog dare you to live. I dare you to live for something bigger. I dare you to live for something real, for something out of this world. For something so much bigger than yourself. For something, I dare you to live for something bigger than just graduating college with a good degree, with good grades. For, I dare you to dream uh, and to live for something bigger than just job security, a good resume. There's so much more to life. I dare you to live. I dare you to live and to live with an abundance, to live life to the fullest. You see, following Jesus doesn't mean you live a life full of stagnancy or mediocrity. Following Jesus means you live life to the full. And man, if you don't see following Jesus in that kind of light, you got to reconsider what it means to be a Christian. If you think just being a believer is just doing a, a, following a list of do's and don'ts and living this very mundane, mediocre life, I'm telling you, following Jesus means so much more. And why did I talk about this theme, dare all night? It's because, man, when someone dares you to do something, you just, it's like reverse psychology. You're like, you, you never thought you could, uh, like, oh man, Dehan and, uh, David Han and I, I don't know what we're thinking, but in about eight weeks' time, we're doing something called the Spartan Race. Uh, next week, um, Eunice, can you pray for us, actually? Uh, during the corporate intercession time. It's like, a, we're doing the hardest race, of course. I've never done anything like this in my life before. Uh, but we're doing a 20-kilometer race with uh, 25 obstacles where it's like you climb ropes and, and there's like, you know, chains falling and, you know, like wild tigers coming. Like, that's, that's pretty much what it is. We're, our lives are endangered, man. We got we to gotta train. Um, you know, but my friend asked me, 
He's from Busan, and he was like, hey, hey, a bunch of us from Busan are going to go up June 13th, Spartan race. You down for it? Let's do it, man. And I just felt this, it was like a dare. He was like, hey, he's like, David, I dare you to do it. And I was like, I had, I had a choice there. I was like, you know what? I could say no and be safe and alive with all 10 toes and 10 fingers. And I could regret, I could regret it for the rest of my life. Because I'll, I'll always look back, you know, at the young age that I'm at right now and be like, man, I wish I did that Spartan race. You know, I could live my whole life with health, but with regret. Or I could, you know, receive that there and be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do it. I might lose my pinky toe. I might not be able to walk for a week after. But, man, I... Some, that, when that dare was given to me, I was like, oh, I want to do it. You know, something in me came alive, you know. And I, and I think... Yeah, it's that, it's that uh, innate nature that, that men have. We just, that caveman mentality, like ooga booga. You know, we just want to do something. We want to we feel pain and, and we want to be heard and we just want to get our hands dirty. You know, whatever, whatever it is. But in that same way, you know, when you're dared to do something, you should come alive. And that's what I'm here to talk about. I'm daring you to live. I'm daring you to live life to the fullest. So, for example, you're here in Emmaus. How many of you here is your first time? Uh, first uh, semester, I should say. Okay, good, good. Uh, you know, and, and like I said, I've been doing uh, Emmaus for a long time. I used to lead Familias, and I remember every time we tell our students, hey, come join Familia. And what I'm here to say is, man, if you're really seeing um, living for God and living for this Christian life as a dare by God, you're not going to see familias just as an invite by Emmaus to join a small group. You're not going to see it as an invite, but you're going to see it as a dare by God saying, man, I bet you don't know everything about me and this Christian life, and do you want to know more? You know, when we're talking about the retreat that's coming up for New Philly, this churchwide retreat, we're going to have like 500 plus people come, a bunch of college students coming. Um, I'm sure a lot of them are single. Hey, uh, yeah, just, you know, when you hear this, uh, announcement. Don't see it just as an announcement after a large group by a staff member, but see it as a dare by God saying, man, you think just because you grew up in church, you've experienced me in all of my heavy, kabod glory? You think just because you grew up in church, just because you were part of another college ministry, you think, man, that you've seen all that I have to offer? Well, he's saying, well, I dare you to see if there's more. Don't see this retreat or familiar just as an invite to something, but see it as a dare by God to say, hey, do you want more? You know, Emmaus, it's the Emmaus Road uh, passage, right? And our, that's where our theme comes from. That's where our, our motto, our logo comes from, made for more. And that's what I'm here to say tonight. You were made for more. You were made for something so much bigger. And God's daring you to live up to that expectation. You see, life is full of theirs that either lead to life or death. And if life is full of theirs, we need to respond with this. We need to be daring. And if you have your Bibles, let's turn our Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. You can turn your tablets, your smartphones, whatever you have. In the Bible, I want to talk about a story of a man. And he was a daring man. His name was Joshua. If you're there, Joshua chapter 1, say it in unison, I dare you. Say it one more time. All right. So for those of you who don't know, Joshua, he was the leader after Moses. You know, uh, this was when the whole exodus of Israelites came out. They were in uh, slavery for 400 years, coming out of Egypt, and then they're uh, wandering around the wilderness, and then Moses... You know, he does his thing. He leads them for 40 years plus. And then the next person who's taken over is this man named Joshua. He's this young man. And you see, Joshua was not only daring, but he was a man who dared to live. You know, earlier in this, uh, in, the, in the book of Leviticus, it says that uh, there's this 12 spies that are sent to go to the promised land. So what happens is there's the whole exodus. Israelites come out. They go into the uh, wilderness. They cross the Jordan River. And God says, man, I'm going to give you the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. 
for 40 years in the wilderness, and they're just eating like manna and quail, and they're just chilling, you know, in this wilderness, you know. And then finally, the 40 years passed because God was so mad. He said, man, everyone in this generation will not enter the promised land except for Caleb and Joshua because they had a good report, because they had the faith to see the, the, the things that I wanted them to see. And then right when that happens, even Moses himself isn't allowed to go to the promised land. So we have this shifting, this exchanging in leadership mantles. And again, you got, you got this Moses guy, he did the 10 miracles, you know, 10 plagues and signs and wonders, all these things. He just made water come out. He made manna come. He made quail fall. All these crazy things. Talking about some big shoes to fill. Joshua comes in. He's a lot younger. He doesn't have as much respect as Moses did. You know, people like died when they rebelled against Moses. Like that's, that's pretty uh, big shoes to fill, you know. And then and then Joshua comes, he enters the scene, and if you have your Bible, you could see the beginning of the, the book. It says, God commissions Joshua. So, spoiler alert, but that's what happens. So, he's about to commission Joshua, and he says, hey, look, we're about to, we're about to do this thing. All right, Joshua, look, you're about to take the Israelites into the promised land. We've been waiting 40-plus years for this, you know, even almost 500 years. You know, if you go back to the promise that was given to Abraham— the promised land is about to be given to you. So this is what I'm about to tell you. So let's go to verse 6 of chapter 1. And it says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. You see, Joshua had many different dares in his life. You know, when he was scouting the land, the promised land, and he was figuring out what reports had. They were gone for a while. And can you just imagine? They're just, they're looking at the land. Every time they see this, you know, 12-foot-looking Shrek dude, you know, this ogre, like this big, giant, you know, Goliath's, like, great-great-grandson, and he sees them, or not great-grandson, great-great-grandfather, I should say, <laughs> chronologically. Um, he sees them, he could... You know, the devil could have been like, look, look, I dare you to, you know, be faithless. I, look, I'm telling you to think a certain way because it's not going to work. You're not going to take this promised land. Look, why don't you just take the easier route? And but at the same time, there's the devil pointing into that direction. But there's God saying, hey, you could look at the circumstance. You could look at the obstacle in front of you. But I dare you to dream bigger. I dare you to have a greater faith. Because it says that the righteous will live by faith. And, you know, and Joshua, he's been having so many of these opportunities to be dared to live towards a faithless life, a, a life that leads to death, and, or uh, being dared to live in a, a path that leads to righteousness, to, that leads to life. And, and God is telling him to be brave and to be bold. And there's three specific um, areas that I want to talk about being bold. And the first one is this in, in verse 6 where he says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. So what is he talking about here? He's talking about the inheritance. He's talking about the land that is promised to the Israelites. And my first point is this. Man, not only do you have to be bold, but you have to be bold. You have to be daring in light of God's promises. Each and every one of you have specific and universal promises that God has given you. You know, he promise you, promises you salvation. As simple as that. You know, he says, for those of you who uh, confess with their mouth and believe with their heart, you know, they'll, they'll receive the kingdom of God. They'll be called sons of God. There's this salvation that comes, that's promised to you when you place your faith in Christ, when you let him take control of your life and you say, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. Salvation is promised to you. And you're called sons of God. You're called heirs of Christ, uh, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. There's various promises that God has given to you as his elect, as his chosen people. But there's also specific promises that he's given you. You know, some of you are called to be in the business mountains. Some of you are called to be, you know, engineering, you know, government, politics, all these different things. 
And you got to be bold in pursuing it. There's this uh, pastor. I've been listening to all his sermons these days. Uh, his, his name's Stephen Furtick. And he has this quote. He says, If your dreams are not intimidating to you, they are insulting to God. Can I say that one more time? If your dreams are not intimidating to you, they are insulting to God. What did I say before? You're, you're the powerful 1%, right? You have the ability to change the world. You're the future leaders of this world. You're going to make an impact. But it will, it will only happen when you're able to dream, not just your small dreams, but God's big dreams. But God, we have this uh, core value at New Philly. It's the ninth core value is dream big. Because we believe that as believers, we're called to dream big. We're called to not just dream our, you know, human-sized dreams, but God-sized dreams. And that's not a New Philly thing. That's a kingdom thing. And that's not just an amazing thing, but that's something that's for you. And man, when you're called to dream God, dream God's dreams, you got to do it with boldness. You got to do it in a daring way. You know, when God says, hey, do you really believe that I will give you the nations as your inheritance? You got to see that as a dare. You know, David, huh? When I dare you to do the Spartan race, some inside of you should just come alive and be like, yeah, I want to do, yeah, I want to do, you know, you just want to, something in, something uh, primitive inside of you just has to come out in that same way when God is saying hey son or daughter of God I want you to dream my dreams something inside of you should come alive it sh- you shouldn't be passively receiving it you get what I'm saying tonight I don't think you realize what God has placed you what, how he has positioned you the opportunity you have that billions of people don't have in this world And he's giving you this opportunity. He's giving you this education. And he's saying, what are you going to do with it? Because I dare you to do something bigger with it. I dare you to dream. I dare you to be bold in light of my promises. Second uh, way he wants us to be bold and be daring is in verse 7 and 8. So only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you'll have a good success. So the second way that Joshua was being daring was in regards to obeying the law. And I want you to focus on this last sentence in verse 8. It says, Do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Um, am I preaching a works-based salvation here? Because uh, I just read something that sounded pretty works-based. You know, at uh, Mace, we believe that it is by grace you have been saved through faith, it is not by your own works, but it is a gift of God. That way no one can boast about it, right? That's the grace. But the grace of God doesn't just end there. That's where it begins. And it's when you receive that grace, you're able to obey his commands. But what I'm saying tonight is don't just obey his commands, but do it in a daring way. Do it with a zeal. Do it with a boldness. I think that's the theme for this whole semester, right? For Mace, Be bold. Hashtag be bold. David on is speaking tonight. Be bold. You know, hashtag this, hashtag that. You got to be bold. Tell your neighbor, be bold. Tell your other neighbor, be bold. What I'm saying is, man, God wants to bless you. God wants to prosper you. And Jeremiah says, for I have plans for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but with a hope and a future. God wants to prosper you. God wants to give you his shalom peace, a shalom that speaks order into your life, that brings not just blessing, but prosperity in every area of your life. That's the real biblical meaning, not just the spiritual, but the physical, not just the spiritual, but the financial, not just the spiritual, but the relational. And God wants to bless you in this way, but there's this conditional clause. And it says here, do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. You see, when we receive the word of God, 
whether it be the Ten Commandments, whether it be, you know, whatever um, Paul's letters were in the epistles in the New Testament, whether it be your familiar leader, you know, whatever commandment that's given to you, you can't just passively obey. You got to do it with a zeal. You got to do it with a boldness. You got to do it daringly. And the third one is this, uh, verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I love how, you know, there's, there's a significance when God uh, does three of anything in the Bible. It's a sign of completeness. It's a sign of wholeness. Hence the Trinity, you know, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? There's a sense of completeness. And that's what he's emphasizing here to Joshua. But he hits different areas. You know, you got the inheritance, the promise. He's saying, be bold. He's saying for the law, be bold. And last one, I feel like is the most important. He says, be bold. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is what he's talking about. He's saying, be bold in approaching his presence. In approaching his throne. This man, Richard Hess, he writes that Joshua will not succeed because he obeys God's instructions. He will succeed because God is with him to enable him to obey his instruction. Again, I was talking about the grace, but it doesn't end there. The grace enables you to live a life for him, right? You got to be bold. You got to be daring when you're asking for his presence. You know, everything, every promise that God has given you, every call that he's given you, every commandment he's given you to obey, you can't do it by yourself. You can only do it through his presence. And that's a constant theme you see from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelations. That's a theme that we see not just in the Israel, but in the early church and to the church today. It's about his presence. In Psalm 139, verse 7, it says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. God's saying, man, if you go to heaven, my presence is there. If I go to the depths of hell, my presence is there. He's saying there's nowhere you can go where you can run away from my presence. My presence is there. You cannot flee from it. And I got a taste of this when I visited home last summer. And I was just... uh, just doing some driving, I was doing some shopping or something, and I was just uh, riding my car, or my mom's car, and I just listened to the radio, and all of a sudden, I just, I was just like, just driving, I think I just saw nature or something, and something just came over me, and I was like, oh, like, glory of God, like, I I just started interceding for the city that I was just driving through, uh, because Philly needs some prayer, Um, and I was just, I was just, praying. I was just worshiping God. I was like, God, you are the God of this city. You're the God of this nation. Man, I worship you. And I felt his presence come and I was just driving. And do you know what I was listening to? I was listening to Lil Wayne and uh, T-Pay or whatever. All I remember is Lil Wayne, Lil Wheezy. And you know, he's, he sounded all Wheezy. And, and you know, my first instinct was, I was like, I was just driving because this is just like, horrible pop music on the on the radio and i'm just driving and i'm like oh my gosh glory oh the first instinct i had was to change the station to like a christian station or flip on my ipod or something because i was like oh my goodness the presence of god is here i cannot uh be listening to little wayne that was my first instinct and if you don't know who little wayne is it's okay don't go searching for him on youtube he's not good um and I felt God speak to me through this, this verse specifically. He said, where can you flee? Where can I flee from your presence? You think you listening to some stupid radio station, some, some rapper talking about some horrible things, you think that's going to keep the presence away from you? No, God, God's saying, God was telling me that I'm so much bigger. Even when you're driving, you know, in, in a place that seems dark and, and it's Philadelphia and man, you, and that place needs Jesus. And, you know, even if you're, you're driving through there and it seems like God is not there, God's saying, hey, I'm there. My presence is there. My presence pervades. My presence enters every single area of your life and it can, but will you let me? And he's saying not only will you let me do it, but will you boldly approach me? You can boldly approach his throne because of his grace. 
Because the presence of God, it reassures you. The presence of God is all that you need. You see, Joshua was a man who lived boldly in response to the various dares, dares of death and life surrounding him. But he dared to choose the path of life and he dared to live boldly for God. I'm going to close soon, but I just want to end with just some closing remarks where I'm saying, man, when you dare to live for God, it's not always easy. Can I just be real? Matthew 16, 24, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny myself, or deny himself. Sorry, that's heretical. Uh, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is almost a promise from God saying it's going to be hard following him. And you know, depending on how much you're willing to obey, you may be ostracized, you may be persecuted, you know, even from your family, your loved ones, your friends. And just because you dare to live for God, it doesn't mean you're always going to follow him perfectly either. You know, I, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to share this tonight. But I'm just going to share it, even if my time is short. Uh, yeah, daring to live for God doesn't mean you're going to follow him perfectly. And what I'm here to say is it's okay. See, there's, there's two parts of, uh, this is grace right in the middle. And then over here is license, and then here is legalism. So as in license, as in license to sin, this is hyper grace. This is you saying, oh man, like I'm just going to use and abuse grace because God's going to forgive me for whatever I do. And then over here is yeah, legalism where you're like, oh, you just beat yourself up because, you know, you, you fell or you, you did a little white lie that day and you just beat yourself up. But God's heart is right smack dab in the middle. And I, I'm struggling towards this legalism side. You know, I grew up in church. And I heard all these laws and Bible verses and all these things. And, man, I, f I had this whole rebellious stage. I got, like, I just tried to find joy and meaning in life and everything else uh, but God up to college. And then when I came to college, I was so broken. I was so just tired. I was like, oh, all right, you guys want to go to a club? All right, let's go to a club. All right, you guys want to get drunk? Okay, let's get drunk. Oh, it's so boring. You know, and that was the way I, I entered my freshman year at college. Um, and then when I finally met other believers and I was part of a community that really loved God, that's when I recommitted my life to Christ. And I was like, man, God, you're so good. You're so big. Man, I'm never going to fall. Like, this is it. I'll, oh, like I found out I'm just going to be a perfect, super duper Christian the rest of my life. And that's what I really thought. And then comes uh, junior year and... You know, after two years of faithfulness, I used to go to all the morning prayers for my college ministry. I used to go to all the evangelism times. I used to just get uh, rejected by all these, um, you know, mean New Yorkers, like trying to share the gospel. I'm like, hi, do you know the four spiritual laws? <laughs> just as there are physical, uh, physical laws that govern the physical universe, so there are spiritual laws that govern your relationship with God. Law one, God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. You know, I just was able to say it all the way up to page 10, and, and I'll get so many rejections. And I also lead some people to Christ. It was a really uh, cool time. I was, I was being bold. I was being daring at that time. And after two years of doing it, I was like, you know what? I'm good. I'm righteous. You know, I'm, I'm legalistic. You know, that's what, I, that's what I was really thinking. And, you know, I said, hey, you know, I'm going to just get a girl. I'm going to get a girlfriend because, you know, I think I'm mature enough. You know, my junior year. John, are we really talking after this? And I was like, you know what, I, I'm just like, I'm, I'm like holy enough, you know, my, my, my hands are clean. Uh, I've learned enough Bible, like I know the four spiritual laws, uh, you know, I've led enough Bible studies. I was like the president of my um, college ministry at that time, you know, I was like, oh, I'm good, I'm good. And then I got a girlfriend and, and everything changed, let me tell you that. <laughs> Without going into too much detail. All the old things in my, in my lifestyle, you know, just 
man, they, when, because we got, I think I dated for like a year and a half, a long time. And um, yeah, like when you get that close to someone and it's outside the covenant of uh, marriage and, you know, you just, you don't have spiritual leaders speaking into it. Not only do you just fall sexually, but man, you just see parts of your heart that you never thought was there. You know, like, man, when we fought, it was crazy. Like, I'll just say things that I was like, oh, my gosh, am I even Christian? Because I'm definitely, I don't, I even know that. I, I didn't even know I could make up such an evil line like that, you know. And I'm saying this jokingly, but, man, I hit a point of desperation. I hit a point of just despair. Talking about the depths of hell, I felt like I was in the depths of hell. I felt like, man, for me to come back only a couple years prior, and I was like, oh, I'm good, and I'm never going to fall again. And I'm, I'm one way, Jesus. You know, I'm just living for him my whole life. I'm never going to fall. And then, lo and behold, I fall. And I felt like, man, I'm abusing this grace. I'm abusing this grace. And it was only when I was able to realize the power of his gospel. And his gospel does not celebrate or it's not focused upon our ability to, you know, achieve salvation, but it's our ability to respond to his salvation. So when you dare to live for God, I'm telling you, it's going to be hard and it doesn't mean you're always going to follow him perfectly. But daring to live for God is always worth it. I'm just going to close with this. In Colossians 3.23, it says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. James 1.12, it says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. You see, we dare to live for God because Christ is our example. You know, Christ also suffered for us. It says he's left us an example in First Peter so that we might follow in his steps. And not only that, but Christ is not just our example, but he empowers us to live a life that maybe isn't perfect, but one that is daring, one that is bold. He empowers us. He enables us to live this life. In Acts 1.8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Judea, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You know, God, he gives us his spirit and enables us to live this life radically for him, to live this life boldly for him. So, Emmaus, I want to dare you tonight. And I want to dare you not to be led to a life of death, but really a life full of life. In life abundant. Let's pray.